By the power of Grayskull, I have a podcast. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it's Retro Trigger time. I am your host, Ben Rosenthal, and I am here with a guest once a month to look at a piece of the retro universe. My special guest this month is a man who collects so much He-Man stuff, it's not funny. Like, I've seen this collection. It is crazy. He's also got a podcast called Toy Power, and his name is Mr. Ben Sachs. That's me. G'day, g'day. Uh, ben, thank you very much for joining us this week. Um, look, we're talking about He-Man and Masters of the Universe. This thing I have to ask you is, uh, does it secretly anger you when people refer to Masters of the Universe as just He-Man? No, because uh, uh, He-Man the Ma- and the Masters of the Universe was the ti- proper title for the cartoon. So they, they've, that, that's tied into people's memory of the you know, property, so to speak. So, and the title character you know, is you know, synopsis for that. So when people say He-Man and things like that, you instantly know, oh, yeah, Masters of the Universe. So, and we've talked about that on our podcast as well that if they were make, to make a new movie, it would probably be called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe before they change it to the just a Motu brand name. So It's I've that brand recognition. That. Yeah, That's yeah. Exactly right. Well, I mean, this podcast is going to be called He-Man slash Masters of the Universe, yes. just so yeah. I can hit those sweet, yeah. sweet tags. I'm, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure the public remembers more about He-Man than they do if you were to ask them, tell me about Masters of the Universe. They would draw a blank. But if you say He-Man... Bang, instant recognition. As a, a, a toy collecting professional, can you sort of gauge how much someone knows about a particular subject like He-Man as to whether they refer it to as He-Man or Masters of the Universe? Oh, to a certain extent. Um, I, I mean, no, no judge, no judge. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, I understand there's, um, you know, there's the difficultness of collecting these days. So if you were to decide today, I'm going to collect Masters of the Universe toys, you're looking at a huge expenditure of money compared to what I uh, was able to uh, compile my collection for uh, back, you know, only 10 years ago, so to yep. speak. So yep. the, um, the toys have just shot up in value exponentially and that's even without a movie yet. So yet Ooh, nostalgia. It's a hell of a thing. Hates our wallets. Anyway, before we go uh, on, do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown about who are you and how long you've been collecting and all those other fun stuff? Maybe talk a little bit about the Toy Power podcast. So I'm uh, Ben. I'm um, 38 years old. I have been uh, collecting my whole life. So through my teenage years, I never really stopped collecting. Uh, did notice girls for a little while, but I, I, can, <laughs> sort of, I can hone it in to an exact date where I be- went from a playing with toys so to speak to oh my gosh there's a there's a whole world of adult toy collecting out there and it was oh, when oh I was, you probably want to put a little uh uh note on the whole adult toy collecting <laughs> true 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 um so it was for my 16th birthday a good friend of mine gave me some aliens comics and i had no idea that there was a, uh, a mature audience of comics out there that spoke to you know mature fans i thought comics were funny and things like that and all only about superheroes i never knew there was a deeper uh, version of comics books so that re-sparked my passion for horror and things like that and i went hunting down all the uh, horror and aliens and predator and all that sort of comic books and uh, opened my eyes to that um, deeper listing of comic book genres and things and then uh, Movie Maniacs in uh, Adelaide City open, was open and they had a uh, big collection of the old Kenner ni- early 90s aliens toys, all mint on cards. So I cl- started collecting them. They were like, you know, $20 each or something. So wow. it didn't take me long Oof. to um, flesh out, to clean them out and to build a uh, decent collection. And I was right at that age when 2000 hit. And that was the big research of all the nostalgic comic book series. You had Ninja Turtles hit, come back into the comic book scene, Transformers, Street Fighter, all those new comics got a new um, lease of life, so to speak, and a lot of uh, promotion for that as well in the comic book stores. So I was perfectly, uh, you know, right there and then for the bandwagon to jump on board and start from issue numbers, you know, zero or one and go right along. 
And that was also a defining point for McFarlane Toys because they started their Movie Maniacs line. And that was the first time I'd ever seen adult orientated uh, toys, you know, directly marketed. Oh, adult for, toys, yeah, adult yeah, toys. D- directly sculpted and marketed to look like the, they looked like on the cinema film, not just, mm. you know, representations of here's, here's a toy for a, um, you know, a six to 12 year old. No, this is, you know, 13 plus, so to speak. And that was absolutely fantastic. And I was measuring up my aliens uh, toys from McFarlane versus my Kenner toys. And the McFarlane ones just, you know, look so much more realistic and things and made the the Kenner toys look like juvenile toys. So that was a a big shift in my collecting that, oh my gosh, there's actually toys marketed for me, for people like me who've grown up through the years, passionate, collected the vintage and now I'm, able to collect these modern toys so to speak and as I got deeper and and I got you know had a job and I had you know money to spend and things like that uh, still living at home of course I had the extra money in my pocket Uh, I started hitting all the garage sales the uh, markets and things like that and Masters of the Universe toys just kept popping up everywhere because it was such a big line everyone was uh you know, offloading them and things. And I was getting bundles of, t- of He-Man toys for, you know, 20 bucks and I'd get three or four characters, so to speak. Not always with their weapons and armour and things, but I quickly grew a collection of my childhood toys and I just kept collecting. And the, the deeper I got into that line, the deeper uh, I had, you know, I just had to complete it, so to speak. I had to seek them out and yeah, go crazy. Just tell us briefly about your collection because uh, obviously this being an audio podcast, people can't see the plethora of uh, He-Man figures, sorry, Masters of the Universe figures yeah, move, yeah. Uh, behind you. Um, yeah. yeah, do you have a number or do you have like... No, I've got all I don't the have a number because it's just it's too many to count. Uh, I've got my own toy room, which is uh, pretty cool considering, um, you know, my wife has doesn't have her own room, so to speak, so... Toy room is very cool. I've yeah. been privileged to get in there and it's like a museum. You walk in and you go, oh, that's so cool. And you go to touch it. Go, no, don't touch it. No, just, just <laughs> yeah. look, look with your hands, not eyes. That's the one eyes, that's Ben. It. Yeah. So I am predominantly a loose collector. I, uh, I have purchased mint on card figures, uh, vin- even vintage ones. And I'm of the caliber of cracking them open for, to display loose. So really? I really, yes, even something yes. on card, you'll break that even baby out. Yeah, I mean, and that goes back to the aliens figures, like because they came with little comics and things, the Predator figures, sometimes it was cheaper just to buy the character carded and crack him open. And then I've guaranteed a 100% complete character, 100%, uh, com- you know, perfect condition. And I was able to get those little mini comics that uh, no one was selling, so to speak. So I have been known to do that. And when I was grabbing them, sometimes it was uh, like for like, you know, someone would be selling the loose character for $16 or I could buy it mint on card from someone else for $20. So that's where you, know, you buy you both of them. Yeah. Well, sometimes I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking, Oh, sorry, go for it. Yeah. So I've, I've collected, uh, I've got uh, four walls, absolutely chock-a-block with toys. And uh, this is my escape. This is my escape from reality. My escape from works escape from, this is where I come to, um, to chill out. Zen out. It's your, your, your holy temple. Mm. Um, now what is your favorite mass, um, Marvel master of the universe figure? Have you got got one that you have to seek out? Yeah, I, I'm a big passionate uh, fan of Skeletor. I'm a big yes. villains fan. Yes. So Skeletor is, uh, you know, my number one. He had five different variations in the vintage line and I've uh, been fortunate enough to seek out all five of them, which is pretty cool. Uh, but second tier uh, would have to be Scareglow. And uh, Scareglow is a, the, I think on his card back, it used to say the ghost of Skeletor. Mm-hmm. But now uh, in reiterations and things, it's the ghost serving Skeletor. So that's a bit of a, you know, a changing role, so to speak. I did come across that in my research when I was looking into it, because yeah. um, like with Sean, a couple of episodes back, you have to do a lot of reading when you're coming up against someone who studied their life, uh, looking into these things. And I did come uh, uh, come up against that, how he was yeah, it, it, he was the ghost of Skeletor but then he wasn't and he's got another name and he used to be a servant of Keldor but we're going to get into Keldor because yes. like you I'm a massive Skeletor fan yes. so uh 
We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, I have some questions for you that I've had since I was a child and I purposely didn't research. Okay, so my first question is, why is Castle Grayskull so spooky? It looks like a villain's lair. So, that, yeah, interesting. I'm not sure why it's sculpted in a skull, but there's a great story behind that. So I think it was Rudy Obrero that um, did the artwork for the Castle Grayskull box. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, I think it was uh, Mark Taylor or some, someone or Roger Sweet. I can't, I'm not perfect on the um, who actually designed the uh, Castle Grayskull, but one of those uh, guys from the origin um, sculpted it and he called his wife's uh, maiden name was Grey. So he, he did, you know, that's where grey comes from. Mm-hmm. And he, because the castle is in the um, format of a skull, it's grey skull. So that's where the name came Genius. from. Genius. Genius. And uh, so um, off goes Castle Grey Skull to the artist. Uh, I believe it was Rudy Obrero. And he gets given this, um, you know, depiction of the uh, playset with a few fa- uh, characters and things. And he picks up. Uh, token Skeletor and looks at Castle Grayskull and says, well, this must be the villain's castle. So he, he draws the artwork for the um, box with Skeletor sitting in the uh, castle's uh, draw, jaw bridge. And that's bridge. so He-Man was then uh, attacking Skeletor, uh, sort of, and it depicted Skeletor sort of uh, defending Castle Grayskull. And it wasn't until Mattel got it back and said, oh, no, actually, it's the good guy's castle that uh, there's been a bit of uh, history around, you know, oh, you can you can change the flag on Castle Grayskull. You can flip it around from a greeny blue flag, turn it over to a brownish purple flag. And that's, you know, whoever has the sort of power has the power of Grayskull. So it's sort of a, a what would you say, a... Um, a battleground of whoever has the power gets Castle Grayskull, so to speak. So. Now, is that to do with uh, also Skeletor originally having a sword as well? Yes. So he had a he had a half sword, mm-hmm. and, and it was a female version. And then He Man had the uh, male version of the half sword, and you could put them together and form one sword. So the purple and grey sword could lock in together in toy form, and that was essentially whoever had the power could take over Castle Grayskull. And that was uh, seen in the co- mini comics and things that came with the toys, but then wasn't uh, continued on through the Filmation cartoon. They just disposed of that idea and went with their own, uh, you know, history. And Have they picked that back up in uh, sort of recent reboots at all? They have in different... They've tried to sort of explain both. Because right. back in the er, very early comic mini comics, Prince Adam was didn't exist. It was Ula that came from a tribal jungle person, and he met the green goddess and uh, g- given the power harness and things like that, and yeah, etc., etc. So he he was given the power, not uh, not a transforming character like we know Prince Adam to He Man was. Good. Speaking of Prince Adam, how is it that no one knew that Prince Adam? was he-man like is it the uh, it's, even it's superman quite, had glasses to try and hide it like i i dare say just the the body language and the laziness that uh, prince adam portrayed versus what he-man uh, thinks they had different voices that was one aspect uh, of the cartoon that had they the same bowl cut though i that, mean you don't see a lot true, of people that sporting that look yeah, they, they did uh, dr- drastically change it in the 2000X cartoon where uh, Prince Adam was a more of a teenage boy and then he bulked up to a man when he turned into... Ah, uh, the Shazam so, treatment. Correct, correct. Oh. But that's, that's definitely where she, uh, they got the idea for the Prince Adam versus He-Man because uh, Lou Scheimer, who did the Filmation cartoons, also worked on Shazam. So oh, there that you go. was a massive influence for the uh, transformation sequence of Prince Adam to him in. It's still pretty iconic though. Like oh, sure. seeing Prince Adam in his fuchsia shirt, hold aloft yes. his magic sword. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if that's just ingrained in our minds because we watched it as kids or whether it truly is an epic sequence. Speaking of epic, it's not epic at all. Does Skeletor have a neck? Oh, good question. He does. Uh, I've never really thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never knew if it was, because if you look at pictures, it, it would be a very long neck. Yes. And then I've read somewhere that, no, he's got a floating head. But then others go, no, no, he's got a neck. And I think, well, yeah. h- how does he keep that? Like, is he, 
is his whole body a skeleton or is it just his face or but we're going to get at that with the keldor talk but well, yeah yeah well yeah does he have a neck i don't know well, the, who knows who knows that's the mystery of the masters of the universe <laughs> all right well i've got the biggest mystery this is the yes. biggest question the last question before we get into some of the background all right you ready for this it's going to really rock your Go world in the masters of the universe why does everyone hate pants uh, I, okay, so you've got to, my, this is my theory on that whole thing, right? Is, <laughs> is, uh, Sorry, so, so, I couldn't answer whether a character has a, a neck or not, but no pants. Yeah, I've got something for you, yeah, buddy. This I have researched. <laughs> so uh, I believe, I truly believe that uh, Conan, the Conan the Barbarian film, so uh, fe- featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger, that was going to be Mattel's big movie so uh, toy line tie-in type thing and when conan the barbarian they realized the film was going to be so r-rated and things like that so violent so bloodthirsty so mature they quickly did a big uh backflip on oh no we can't we can't portray this toy line to kids not in the not in such early 80s so they look back at the uh alien the kenner alien big chap that came out from kenner and that didn't, that was almost withdrawn from shelves right. back in 1979 or something like that. That didn't do too well at, at uh, retail. So they, I think they went in for this Conan barbarian style uh, portrayal. And then they quickly did a backflip when they realized it was going to be so mature. And that's what, but that was already ingrained. Let's keep continue with the barbarian style, but let's re, rehouse brand it into he-man and the masters universe and then uh go from there because not not long down the track the conan producers or the people behind conan tried to sue mattel for stealing their uh brand and ideas and things like that because you know putting he-man as a uh, very close likeness to conan and uh they actually settled outside of court so there was no oh. definitive thing and then on on the flip side of that there is a character called uh, wonderbread he-man that actually has the brown hair the brown loincloth and things like that but there's no known proper history of where he came from was he a mail away he was never packaged or anything he was just all of a sudden ended up out in the wild and people have since collected him alternate uh, reality Yes. It's the only, much, only so. plausible explanation. That's right. yeah. 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 All right. Let's get into some of the background very, very quickly. Masters of the Universe, commonly abbreviated as MOTU. Is it MOTU or MOTU? I call it MOTU. MOTU, commonly abbreviated as MOTU and sometimes referred to as He Man or the Shearer series, uh, is a sword and sorcery themed media franchiser. Franchiser? Franchise created by Mattel. The main premise revolves around the conflict between He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe and alter ego of Prince Adam, against the sorcerer Skeletor on the planet Eternia. With a vast lineup of supporting characters in hybrid settings of medieval sword and sorcery and sci-fi technology. Now, that was the thing that really grabbed me as a kid. You had these guys with swords, with no pants, uh, going around in cybernetic horses and hover cars and guys with like really weird metal armor all over him. Uh, tell us more about He-Man's backstory. So He-Man's backstory. So yeah, as I said before, you've got the whole Conan thing and stuff like that. So there's that aspect, uh, He-Man's backstory. So you had uh, Roger Sweet and Mark Taylor come up with these ideas of let's make a you know He-Man toy line. And each of them to this still day fight over who actually came up with He-Man. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've got that in my notes for later. Yeah, so there was actually they actually went away and uh, they created these. They got these big gym characters, so the big uh, what are they, ten inch characters or something in those old style GI Joe sort of format. And they um, he got uh, clay and he just bulked up this these three characters. So one turned out to be a spaceman with a rocket pack on his back, uh, and he had a like a Boba Fett helmet style thing. Another one had a tank head a very military orientated and then the third one was the um, barbarian very uh, similar to what we've received today in the he-man aspect except he had a helmet with horns on it which looked pretty cool and uh, so that was sort of the premise of showing the executives at Mattel this is what I, I plan to do and 
He-Man originally was going to be, uh, look, you can be anything. Sort of taking that idea of G.I. Joe being a, you know, a scuba diver, a, uh, you know, on the, on the front line, uh, being an Air Force military person or being up in space. You know, He-Man could do anything. But they went, they preferred the barbarian look because no one else was doing barbarian style at that time. So they went with that avenue and added the fantasy, the sci-fi, uh, all that sort of uh, genres after it. And there's also some very early prototypes of He-Man wearing sort of a buzz-off insect-like uh, suit. Um, but later on, we obviously saw buzz-off as a character of himself and not a uh, costume for He-Man. Some of those names of some of those uh, secondary uh, characters are so bad. Yes, well, so that's, good. That's right. That's the question people pose if they were going to do a new movie. Uh, how can you call someone Fisto uh, in today's uh, market, you know, and, and still call it a PG film, so to speak? So, oh, we're going to get to Fisto. <laughs> Believe you me, Fisto yeah. is a coming. Oh, yeah. that's not bad. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got plans. Trust me. Okay. But before we get to that, it's time to talk about Mr. Keldor. Uh, yes. Do you want to run us through his history? So Keldor was uh, first originated in the mini comics and that was sort of one of those very last uh, mini comics. It was sort of the, um, the beginning of Keldor. I can't remember. I'm yeah, a bit of a blank on what the official mini comic was the search for Keldor or something. So he was hinted, as this character in the mini comics, but way back in the eighties and things. But then 2000 X came, came along and really fleshed out the character. This character was uh, pre Skeletor. This was a magician serving Hordak and, uh, you know, climbing up the ranks type thing. He fought King Randor. He was the, um, the half, he was the brother of King Randor. So uh, Prince Adam's uncle. And during a fight, he tried to be a bit dirty, throw a bit of um, acid, in uh, Randor's face. Randor blocked it being, you know, pretty good on, with the sword and whatnot. And it splashed back into uh, Keldor's face, you know, permanently scarring him. So Keldor is on his last breath and he runs back to Hordak and says, Hordak, you have to help me. Uh, I'm dying, I'm dying. So uh, Hordak sort of vitalizes him with magic to keep, to keep him alive. And uh, his burning face is permanently scarred with just bone because that was the only way to sort of save him before he, you know, uh, kicked the bucket, so to speak. So the, the, uh, the version of Skeletor we know is the transformation of Keldor, but that's, that's a permanent thing, not something, you know, Prince Adam can change from He-Man and back so forth, uh, Keldor and Skeletor. Skeletor is Skeletor permanently now. And Keldor had blue skin when he was uh, growing up, correct? Now, that yes. was because he's uh, half... It was a half-brother? I don't now understand how that worked. Uh, yeah, so there, there's a special... It's not Smurf. There is a special, <laughs> um, a special name for that um, species of people. But, um, and that's just the law of the Mars universe. You know, Eternia has lots of races and things on the planet. And uh, Randor's parents, Randor's father... Uh, went off and you know shagged someone uh, of the blue race, and so yeah, it is uh, sort of a half brother. That's in the kids' comics as well. Right, the opening right. preamble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Randall's father went off and shagged a blue person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Skeletor for me, and obviously for you as well, was always the much more interesting character. He seemed a lot more fleshed out. Um, I think mainly because he places himself above his subordinates because he's the big bad guy and he's trying to take over from Hordak and whatnot. Um, but he also naturally isolates himself even from those he sees as a leader. Uh, and I remember there was a point where he asked He-Man, it might've been in the 2000X series, where he asked He-Man if he was lonely as well. Uh, and that for me, it, it shows that he's a tragic villain. Uh, yes. He wouldn't have turned evil if certain events in his life had, had happened differently and hadn't been dropped into an acid bath or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just seems a lot more interesting. And like in the ca cartoon, it was because they hammed him up. Like he's not evil in the cartoon, uh, much like the cartoons of the eighties and whatnot, where you know, the Ninja Turtles didn't use their weapons apart well, from. Yeah, anything. there's not once where He-Man actually uses his sword against another character. It's on, only ever to smash rocks and you know cut that vine and things like that. Uh, he never actually hits anyone with his yeah. sword or punches. Yeah, so. so you've got Skeletor who's become a meme now. Um, but what are your thoughts on him, him being your favourite character? What appealed to you about that 
Uh, I think uh, it's definitely that uh, grisly horror-esque look of, mm. you know, a, a guy with a skull face. I mean, how can you get much cooler than that? Uh, the purple and blue hues of his colour scheme are just absolutely fantastic. You know, he's got that um, mysterious magic aspect around him. So he's not just powerfully strong. He's also utilising the power of magic, which makes him uh, a little bit un... un uh, What's the word for it? Uh, un, oh, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you can't you can't predict what he's going to do next. You know, he might yeah. he might smash you with his sword, and then all of a sudden grab his havoc stark and zap you, and you don't know what's going to happen next. So I like that aspect. In some of the comics, the later comics, they flesh out that he's actually uh, quite angry at the fact that he wasn't deemed prince. You know, he wasn't next in line for the throne because of his uh, it's sort of a race issue. Yeah. Because he, Is that a new he, thing? Uh, it, it was, yeah, definitely flashed out in the later, uh, more mature series of comics. Mm-hmm. And they go deeper into that avenue because they uh, entertain the idea that Keldor exists and then b- built on it throughout the years. So I really like that idea that he's... Anger isn't just because I'm evil. It's because I have a bone to pick with you because you think, you know, it's a bit of a race issue that I was shunned away because of my uh, skin colour, because I was, you know, um, born out of wedlock. You know, I was not meant to, you know, all that sort of aspects built on top of the thing that, you know, Prince Adam is, uh, everyone looks up to him and stuff, but actually, oh no, sorry, King Randor, you know, became king and uh, Skeletor, Keldor, you know, he doesn't have a chance. Again. See, I never liked Randall because he kept uh, talking about how much of a loser his son was. And it's like, you, <laughs> what? Yeah. He's he, man. What do you yeah. even know, you jerk? No, um, like you're saying with Skeletor as well and, and Keldor, uh, I think a lot of people are uh, sort of get appealed to villains because a really good villain written really, really well. And I've said this numerous times, so I'm going to say it again uh, on this podcast, but a really good villain has a believable backstory and you can see their point of view. You can see why they are acting like that. You don't necessarily agree with why they're acting like it, but you can understand what put them to that, uh, that nth degree, that, that high power. And yeah, if uh, Kildor has faced nothing but racism all his life, he's faced nothing but, uh, uh, you know, being looked down on because of simply how he looks. It makes sense that someone like uh, Hordak, who is a manipulator and, and power hungry would of course recruit him in and who better to have than you know, the, the prince of the place where you're trying to take over uh, by your side as your sorcerer. Um, yeah. It's just a much more appealing, much better character than uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy who has a magical sword that was given to me by a lady who turns into a falcon. All right, let's talk a little bit about the toy line because I know that you're very well vested in that before we jump back into the animated series. Now, this is something I didn't realize. Orko was never a part of the original toy line and was created for the sole purpose of comedic relief. Correct, yeah. So you've got a lot of those aspects of the toy line that uh, came out of filmation. So the sorceress, the um, Orko... Uh, you've got um, even Prince Adam, as we spoke about before. They were never in the mythology of the Masters universe until Lou Scheimer added those aspects into the storyline and created, you know, into the cartoon. So they all were affiliations of the cartoon, making its way into the toy line um, as opposed to vice versa. You know, a toy line first and then mm. becoming a cartoon. So, mm. so. And going deeper into that, you've got huge influences from the Big Jim uh, predecessor of, from Mattel. So you've got the Battle Cat. You know, he was a, a regular lion uh, in the Big Jim toy line. And they, you know, they said, the executive said, throw a saddle on it. So they put a saddle on it and then put a helmet on it, you know, and they put on a helmet and bang, you've got that uh, He-Man steed, so to speak. And Zor and uh, the... Um, and things, uh, they're, they're big gym eagles and things repainted into the toy line and stuff. There's lots of characters like Trapjaw and stuff. If you look deeper into the big gym toy line, there were characters with their iron jaw and things that they took uh, ideas from to create more deeper characters into the uh, toy line. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, sharing ideas for the toy line. to Sharing ideas or grabbing a character and say, yeah, he's mine now. 
Oh, a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what it's is... It's all under the same wheelhouse, all under the same Mattel brand and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I suppose they're just the trying brand. to... You hinted at before the whole Roger Sweet uh, controversy yes. um, with Mark Taylor. Yes. That, that, yep. Um, yep. So Roger Sweet in his autobiography claims that uh, it was his work that he did it. Whereas the official acknowledgement from Mattel is that Sweet drew inspiration from the, the designs of the first He-Man prototypes from fantasy drawings of Mattel packaging by designer Mark Taylor, which yep. included a drawing of a He-Man-like uh, character called Torak. Yes, yes. So you got Torak, which is um, sort of that, you know, character with the... Uh, uh, helmet and head and things like that. So Torak then evolved into uh, Vicon, Vicor, which is, uh, you know, that second phase of uh, the creation of He-Man. And then instead of Skeletor, you had Demo-Man, which was a, sort of a more gargoyle-looking uh, character with a big beard and um, sort of uh, green skin instead of blue and things like, oh, well, this is all just black and white pictures. But right. later on in the... Um, in the Maddie Collector line, they fleshed those two characters out and made them into plastic form. But, you know, a lot of toy lines have those prototype phases and things like that. So that's uh, that's just one of the phases that Masters of the Universe went through to, to be, before it became He-Man, so to speak. So. And how common are those prototypes in the wild or are they no, sort of locked no. up? They're, they're, they're artist rendering yep. of, of the thing. So there's drawings out there. You can get books there pretty easy to find uh, pictures of online. But I believe those initial three characters uh, of the tank man, the uh, spaceman and the uh, barbarian, those three big gym characters, there's only one of right. those, I believe. So, and I don't think there's, I think there's one picture that's been circled around, you know, for 30 plus years of those, um, you know, first test shot. I've got no idea if they actually survived or not because uh, you'd hope so. You'd hope somewhere. Oh, I do hope, yeah. And like Mattel's no. got them somewhere, or you know, yes. just just something. Um, yes. Speaking of rare toys, what is the rarest uh, Masters of the Universe toy to so get? You've, yeah, so the rarest ones are um, the very late. Uh, you know, in the line, they uh, produced two giants called Megator and Titus. And they were, I think they measure up to um, 20 inches tall or something. They're absolutely gigantic uh, characters. And they were only uh, released in Europe and Italy. Very small numbers because of the, um, the late in the line. And they go for thousands and thousands of dollars wow. uh, in today's market. Uh, then the sort of the next level down is you've got the, um, the final variations of He-Man and Skeletor also released in that is sort of... Uh, small uh, release quantities and uh, Europe and Italy. And they were called the, the laser powered uh, figures. So you've got laser power He-Man and laser light Skeletor, which had electronic uh, devices built into them. So when you move their arm or something, their sword would light up or the Havoc staff would light up in their hand. So that sounds uh, right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, what about the Eternia playset? I know that's very hard to come across. So, yeah. Eternia playset is really extremely hard to come in, uh, into um, possession in Australia, especially because the only uh, credited place that got them was actually John Martin's in Adelaide. No oh, really? Other, um, yes. No other toy store or uh, company in Australia received any attorneys. So just and, that one store? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Yeah. So there's, um, and I was, we've spoken to Lobos in Melbourne. You know, he says he's had uh, people come in uh, selling off uh, G.I. Joe flags and things, and they've got stories of get, getting them. And, uh, you know, even the Sector's Hive playset, all those really big, rare playsets, all the attorneys that he's ever come across have been either uh, foreign imported or I've moved from overseas to Australia and I had this or never, no one's ever credited as saying I bought it here in Australia before. There's no records of anyone uh, buying them in Australia, and uh, there, but there is John Martin's in Adelaide did have a couple for sale back in the day. So and you just know crazy. that whoever bought them, they've gone out at a garage yeah. sale or gone out yeah. in the trash and yeah. just gone and lost yeah. forever. But, um, uh, my fellow podcaster Darren remembers seeing a attorney of place uh, changing hands at Paddy's Market in the early 90s. Oh. And he was um, just minutes away from uh, trying to intercept that deal. 
but the deal had already been done and he missed out on the um, yeah, a local deal, so to speak, that uh, one of the few people had in Adelaide must have, um, yeah, so. You know, I, uh, as someone who collects things, um, I'm have every now and then when I've seen something like that, just gone up to the person who purchased it and goes, um, would you sell it? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you come up against another collector, they go, nah, but once or twice they've gone, oh, yeah, what are you offering? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah. what'd you pay? Oh, 20 bucks. I'll give you 50. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit underhanded, but uh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you gotta, hey, it doesn't hurt to try, does it? So, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of piecing things together, I know you have an almost full or a complete I- attempt. I am pretty fortunate to say that I have a hundred percent complete attorney playset. Uh, so that that was uh, a huge labour of love, and uh, definitely don't recommend piecing it together. Uh, How long did it take like you? I did. It took me about three years to uh, piece together, and I never had intentions of uh, you know building it up to a hundred percent. So mm. I got the towers and things, and uh, the overseas salesperson. What what they would do overseas. And I saw this happen a lot throughout the years that I was purchasing mine. They'd buy a complete one and break and it up, then, um, break it up and sell it piece by piece. We're seeing they, that with dino riders now. It's yeah. a pain in the butt because they'll yeah. get a full T-Rex from somewhere and yes. yeah, just yeah. break it up. 30 bucks for this, 30 bucks for this, yes. 30 bucks for this. And they potentially make uh, 50 to a hundred percent more, more than what they originally paid for it uh, by, uh, you know, selling it piece by piece. So I, I purchased uh, the three towers and things, um, as a unit and then the the seller uh, had excess pieces because it because it went on sale and everyone picked from the pieces they want and then it got to the sort of end of the uh, sale period and he's like look i've got the three towers left i've got a b and c left at parts as well um you know put a discount price on it and i put up my hand and said yes i'll take it even though the uh, extra pieces didn't really go onto the towers they were just parts that needed to be there, you know, mm-hmm. for the end in final run. So I picked that up and um, held on to those three pieces. And then, uh, you know, as this uh, seller and other sellers around the world put up their attorney playsets and parted out, I, you know, as money came in, I, uh, yep, I'll grab that for fifty bucks. I'll grab that for hundred dollars. And and it slowly, you know, uh, made me the the closer I got to the more it, you know, looked presentable and more looked complete i had to get this other piece to make it look better and i now i need the flags and now i want that top gun and you know and i just then i sort of looked at well i'm 75 percent complete now you know <laughs> I, I, I might as well you know go go that extra stretch and go from there so um i've only got two reproduction parts mm-hmm. and that one being the um the whole monorail track that is uh, very susceptible to snapping the mm-hmm. connection pieces just um, uh, they just yeah, crumble uh, in in the today's you know climate and things. They weren't uh, built to last thirty years, so to speak. So repo tracks and there's a little windshield on top of the, one of the guns that is synopsis to be one of the most expensive items on the uh, set. And I was fortunate enough to buy a reproduction piece of that because that little piece alone goes for around three hundred dollars Australian. Wow, that is yeah, so, crazy money. Yeah, can I ask? Well, how much is it a complete attorney a play set worth nowadays? Well, I I'm, can't say nowadays, but I've seen them when I was passionately looking and things. They were going for around two and a half, three thousand uh, dollars. Wow. You know, uh, sort of in Australia. So I'd hate, but the got the thing is so big, uh, you can't. You'd have to pay uh, at least two or three hundred dollars to get it sh- imported from overseas mm. it it had cost uh, yeah an an enormous amount to um these days but every year that you know gets longer that the toy line's been out uh, you find more passionate collectors you find more collectors that uh, put these toys in their forever homes and things the prices just go up year on year so i can't say right now how much an attorney is worth because it's probably a lot more than what uh, it was worth you know five years ago, so to speak, when I was actively looking. So if anyone has an attorney a play set, uh, it's not worth much. Don't worry about it. Might as well just, <laughs> just drop us a message and uh, we'll right. take it off your hands yeah, and get rid of that junk. people that would, uh, yeah, enjoy it. So <laughs> um, Let's talk about the animated series for a bit. All right. In 1983, Masters of the Universe would debut perhaps its most famous incarnation with the animated series He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. 
It's an original name. Uh, created by Filmation under the direction of executive producer Lou Scheimer, the cartoon made its television debut on September 5th, 1983, with the episode The Diamond Ray of Disappearance. Wonder what that's about. Uh, lasting two seasons, He-Man and Masters of the Universe was one of the first animated series produced directly for weekly syndication, totaling 130 episodes with each season consisting of 65 episodes stretching across 13 weeks. The series' last episode, The Cold Zone, was on November 21, 1985. Now, Ben, my question for you is, was it this cartoon that got you into the figures? Oh, definitely, because I was born in 82, so the toy line came out in 82, so I was definitely not there for uh, the toy lines hitting the toy shelves, so to speak. So my uh, original collection of Master Universe was all the later run figures. So when I say that, my He-Man was Thunder Punch He-Man. So mm. I missed out on the regular He-Man, I missed out on Battle Armor He-Man, but my token He-Man was... Thunder Punch He-Man. Yeah, same. Mine my... was the uh, the armor. I had the Skeletor and the He-Man where you press his shield and like it gets damaged. Yeah, battle, battle armor. Battle yep. armor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had those ones. Yeah, they were very cool. And that was actually those um, action feature was borrowed from another toy line, a, a toy line called uh, a toy man of toy ideas specialist uh, named Glasslight Studios or something, and they bought toys ideas from that and. Um, integrated them into uh, their to own toy line. So you saw the glass light, uh, sorry, Mattel had the smash derby cars mm -hmm. on their Hot Wheels cars where yep. they used to hit the, yep. and a flip. And it flipped, yes, I had that. They, they used that uh, idea for the, um, the armor oh, for He-Man. I reckon I still have them under my bed, yeah. in my toy collection. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, so, uh, did you yeah. used to peel the skin off your Moss Man and your Panther? <laughs> no, no, I never had uh, either of the beasts. The only beast I had was uh, um, uh, monster. Sorry, not the monster. Um, the uh, what's it called? Um, the mantis or Hordak steed. So that's like right. a praying mantis. Yep. So that was the only steed I had. And uh, see, my parents were never big on playsets and things. I think the footprint idea of a playset, the the monetary value of a playset. Well, why don't we just get you a couple of figures instead and you don't need any playsets and things. So you play uh, out in the my, garden with them. That's well, your play set. Uh, so my playset was uh, passionately built by my cousin and made out of paper mache and uh, cardboard and things. Uh, pa painted maroon, per, um, sort of a maroon deep red color scheme. And uh, the the beauty of building your own playset is you can add all the action features from the other playset. So I had trap jaws, I had uh, sock puppets. I had, uh, you know, like um, moats and things and everything, uh, you know, all integrated into this, uh, you know, disaster piece of a DIY uh, project that um, my older cousin helped me build. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Did you have a favorite episode of the cartoon that you create on that playset? Yeah, look, my, my um, passion for He-Man is mainly for the mature side of He-Man and the remembering child hood uh, memories of playing with the toys and fondly remembering He-Man and things. Uh, I, I unfortunately cannot sit down and watch more than two episodes in a row. Of the, uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's just too, um, yeah, it's, it's too lame. goofy. It, it's yeah, really it's, lame. It's, yeah. Even so, the Ninja Turtles ones, like you look I can't at come Ninja them. Turtles. Yeah. Whereas you look at the Transformers episodes, yes, the old yes. 80s Transformers episodes, they still hold up. That I 100% agree. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ninja Turtles, He-Man, it's all just really cringy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cringy, did Cringer annoy the hell out of you? Hey, I mean, in, in today's market, He-Man and, uh, sorry, Prince Adam and Cringer are very annoying and things like that. But mm -hmm. um Cringer was that scaredy cat. And it, it was nice to have another character that transformed alongside Prince Adam. You know, yeah. it, it, it helped the believability that that's why they could sneak under the, the guys uh, and not be detected, so to speak, that, by, um, you know, all the other folk in Eternia. Because uh, one got a saddle and a helmet yeah. and the other one got a tan and took that's his clothes it. off. <laughs> so true, so true. Um, no, Cringer just annoyed me because even back then, uh, he seemed like this, this weakling is like scared of everything. Yes. But then you get physical evidence that he can be this rock and badass. And uh, as I said, all that appeared to me as a kid is he got a helmet and a, a thing put on. So like, no, you're, you're a badass dude. You, yeah. People are scared of you. Yeah. Stop being a, a literal scaredy cat and, yeah. and step up. But yeah. again, he didn't. And, and again, the dad sort of going, Oh, my pathetic son. I mean, 
maybe that's just me and my issues, but we should probably move on from that. Uh, <laughs> and one thing the, um, the animated series was very well known for was the moral lesson at the end yes. that was voiced yep. by the characters. Now, it went a little bit step further than the G.I. Joe ones, which gave a, a now you know, and it was a very yes. authoritative. Whereas the moral lessons at the end of this one were, were almost the characters having a heart-to-heart with you. Yes. I don't remember if, oh, I don't know if you remember any of those or any of them uh, not stuck specifically. with you. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know that they were there and things, and I know that's how they uh, helped um, bridge that gap that the, um, you know, the mother's groups and things didn't like. Uh, they thought it was too violent and things like that, the, um, the cartoon and the franchise itself. So that helped, definitely helped appease uh, parents and things out there that it had that moral lesson and that, you know, oh, this muscly man and things like that might maybe, um, you know, very barbaric and things like that, but at least he's got a, you know, a nice swan song at the end and uh, they could, they could, you know, appreciate that at least to uh, let their kids watch it a little bit longer, so to speak. So Now the next segment I uh, wanted to go into um, might not be, the most appropriate for kids. So if you're listening to this in the car, you might want to uh, just turn it off and, and uh, have a listen before you let the kids listen on with it. But I'm going to list off um, five characters by their names. Yes. Yes. I'd like you to s- describe them. Yes. Um, but the twist is these five characters sound more like porn star actors than they do He-Men. Yep. So keeping that in mind, can you explain to me why the character... Ram Man isn't a porn star actor. Oh, <laughs> um, the the only thing I can come up with is he's uh, he's got a suit of armor that doesn't look like it can be taken off very quickly. So, uh, <laughs> but, but why Ram Man? Oh, so Ram Man's uh, he gets of, excited um, and he pops up, right? Oh, that doesn't he ever? A porn star. Um, so Ram Man, the toy. So Master Universe. Um, why it was so successful as well as the toy line is all the characters had um, action features, something that we hadn't seen before in modern toys and things. G.I. Joe had the amazing uh, articulation and stuff. Transformers obviously had the transforming feature, but Master Universe had the, first off, they had the swivel action punch action feature. And then as the line grew, they had each character had their own action feature attributes. So characters like Ram Man, had the bouncing effect. So he'd, you'd squash him down and then you'd press a button and he'd, and he'd sort of shoot up ready to uh, bounce and ram a door and things. He was the... He was so you the, push him down <laughs> and he'd get ready and then he'd spring up and just ram that's right. down. That, that's right. Ran yeah. down yeah. really, yeah. really fast. Yeah. yeah. No, I see what you're saying there though, but uh, yeah. All right, number four. <clears throat> number four character who I think more sounds like a porn star. Extender. Extender. Good old Extender. So he was a pretty cool character in the same 5.5 inch scale as the other characters. Only 5.5 inches. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it's what you, it's how you use it, I suppose. But he could, uh, you, is that 5.5 extended or just, that, no, that's, that's regular height. <laughs> and then, and then the, the, the reason he's got his name is you could uh, pull his legs, pull his arms out, pull his torso up and pull his head up uh, to extend him up to a, you know, almost double, not double, but at least three quarters the uh, original so, height. So you're saying if you wanted your figure to be bigger, you just had to That's pull right. the head until he yeah. got bigger, right? That's right. Yeah. You're not sure. winning. So even far. even his shield would extend. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three, a master of the universe character who I think sounds more like a porn star actor, tongue lasher. Tongue lasher, one of my personal favourites. Uh, back I in the bet. day, I, ha- I had I had him. Uh, so he is a, he's meant to be a snake man, but he actually looks more like a frog. So he's a purple frog with a sort of very uh, light sort of deep purple attributes. And then, um, uh, yeah, he's deep purple attributes. Right. Like I that, gotcha. Sort of yep. veins. Yep. Veiny deep that. purple attributes. That's okay. Right. Continue. And, uh, he, his action feature was a huge tongue that came out to, um, in and out. So, to speak. so a so, deep purple veiny <laughs> character <laughs> with a long tongue. Yeah. That had hues of a frog <laughs> rather than a snake. <laughs> All right. Number two character from Master of the universe. Who sounds like a porn star. Stinkor. Stinkor. Good old Stinkor. So what better way to, um, to 
take the attributes of a skunk and things like that, a repainted merman underneath his uh, armor and things like that. And so he was black uh, with white uh, stripes and things like that, orange armor. And he had patchouli oil uh, sort of mixed in with the uh, plastic when he was being manufactured. So he had the a foul odor as soon as you opened the packet. And, um, and even the uh, 2008 series, the modern toy line, they actually poured that uh, smell into the plastic as well. And uh, he can be smelt, uh, you know, in the modern version as well. So pretty cool. You know what? I'm not going to make any comments on that one. <laughs> uh, and number one, the number one master of the universe character who sounds exactly like a porn star. You know who it is. Mr. Fisto. Is Fisto. So, so Fisto was the uh, the everyman. He had the big burly attributes like the all the other characters. He had a giant he, uh, fist. He had the uh, he had the beard going. Uh, he was um, and he had the the huge right arm with the big uh, sort big of fist. iron fist. That's right. So watch out. <laughs> oh Ben, uh, you got some pluggables you want to plug? Yeah. So. Find uh, Toy Power podcast on all the social medias. We're um, we're about 175 plus episodes deep. So um, we're a weekly podcast. We come out on uh, each week. Uh, and uh, find me on Instagram. I'm Shredder1982 on all the Instagrams and uh, other social media aspects. So. And you can find uh, Retro Trigger at Retro Trigger Pod on all the social medias and everything, or you can head on over to Hack the Dino on YouTube, all the socials, Spotify, and Twitch, where we talk about video games. That's sort of like the parent podcast to this one, uh, and it's pretty cool I, if I don't say so myself. But just like the animated series, I uh, decided to uh, dig up an old moral lesson oh, for us to, to cap <laughs> off the episode from our good non-porno actor-sounding man, Fisto. And he, he says this, this is an exact quote. <clears throat> Hi there. In today's story, we had a tough job to do. And the only way we could do it was to get some help and work together. Now, there are always jobs and problems that are too tough to handle. I bet there are, Fisto. And when that happens, you should never be ashamed to admit you need help. Likewise, if someone asks for your help, give them a hand. <laughs> Yours may not be as big as mine but it's still appreciated. And if I can ever give you a hand, just let me know. Yep. That, that sort of unrealistic expectations there. How are you going to get in contact with Fisto? Oh, who knows? Mate. He's too busy in his <laughs> porno. Anyway, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. for no, the Retro Thank Trigger. you for having, yeah, having me on. This is a lot of fun and uh, awesome to chat to you about uh, all things plastics. Yeah, we'll definitely get you back on. I'm, I'm going through sort of my first tier of tipping off people and then I'm grabbing them back and we've actually got Trent lined up to come on down oh, okay. and awesome. he's going to talk about dino riders yeah, so that's sweet. I mean good, good, good guy to have on he's uh, quite quite the collector of that line so yeah, yeah. and when can we hear from Trent we, we can see him on Toy Power Podcast yes yes Toy yeah. Power Podcast and he was uh, one of the uh, finalists on Lego Masters as well so what a champion